Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Pure Hoops Podcast. We are finally back together, not in the same room, but we are back. BJ Armstrong in Los Angeles. Eric Newman in New York. We have both been traveling in the globe, me more so in the United States. You hear the sirens in the background because I'm in New York and it is hot and the window is open. Speaking of hot, BJ, you were in China for FIBA. We need to hear all about it. First off, how was the trip? And then we'll talk what happened on the court? Well, it's it's great to be back. You know, we, we had a, a week or two uh, traveling, so forth and so on. And now we're back in the swing. You know, the season's about to start. And I was in China, which is one of my favorite, you know, countries to visit. And uh, we were there, you know, working on a, different things. And, of course, uh, FIBA World Cup was there. So had an opportunity to see uh, – uh, the teams play and, and be in that environment but you know China was was phenomenal and uh, great food and what a great interesting country and uh, it's, it's one of my one of my favorite places to visit so I had a very unique China experience which I'll share a little later in the show that was back in 2006 it was very basketball centric and focused I was amazed at the spirit and the growth of the game then Share with me, share with our audience, what is basketball in China like today in 2019? Well, the popularity of the game is, is just growing at a phenomenal rate. And uh, I think a, a lot of that has to do with the exposure uh, of basketball uh, here in the States. And, of course, with Yao Ming's presence playing in the NBA with the Houston Rockets has been an incredible uh, amount of exposure and you're beginning to see, you know, whether they are uh, American players like Stefan Marbury and many others who've uh, made the trek to play uh, in China. But overall, I think it's the you have to credit the NBA. You have to credit uh, David Stern and the NBA for having the vision to say, you know what, this is a this is a place where the NBA game has has the potential because of the popularity of the game to grow and what they were able to do growing the game visually getting it on television the exposure to the game and then actually having an NBA player of Yao's impact I think it was just a culmination of a lot of different things coming together and it was just the right place right time but you would be I mean it's incredible I'm amazed every time I go about how recognizable you know I haven't played in 25 years or so and people still recognize me for what I when I played in Chicago and you know I was able to go there with clients many times and they just love basketball and can't get enough of it. What's that like? It's one thing to be recognized in LA, New York, Chicago, where you're from in Michigan. What's it like to be recognized on the other side of the world where 
everything's different. The c- cultural day-to-day is different. The way the game is viewed and consumed has got to be different because it's they're coming at it from a dis- different perspective. Wh- what's it like over there when people are walking up to you on the street or seeing you at, at game venues? Uh, wh- what is that like for you? Well, it, it, it's it's amazing. You know, this uh, last trip I was uh, there with a client, Derek Rose, uh, who does a tremendous amount of business there um, with, you know, playing in the NBA and his partner in with Adidas. Uh, what's it like? I mean, you know, first you have the language barrier and it yeah. is a different culture. But the thing that's amazing to me is that, you know, we're from the United States. They're from China. But you have this common denominator called basketball and respect and appreciation for what it is you do and their appreciation for their love of the game. So to see all these differences, right, the difference in culture, you know, we're from, you know, halfway around the world, they love it. And I'm telling you what, if you have an opportunity to visit there, definitely visit. It's, it's, it's a magnificent country. Um, but most importantly, um, from a basketball perspective, they are true, true fans of the NBA, okay? They know everything about the NBA, um, and they go nuts. I mean, whenever we are at a, at a venue, I mean, it was nothing for Derek to draw ten to 15,000 people hmm. at these venues uh, that he was able to do there consistently all throughout all of China, not just Shanghai, Beijing, but – you know, where there's Hangzhou or Shengdu and all of these other cities around the country. And it's just amazing to see. And um, it's been it's been quite a ride. And I've had an opportunity to see it many, many times. And I encourage all players to go there. And uh, I understand why Kobe Bryant goes there. And I understand why the shoe companies and all of the, the whether it's Nike or Under Armour, in this case, last was with Adidas, why you go there. Because it's a it's basketball heaven if you love basketball this is the place where you want to go because of their interaction i mean they are truly fans of the game it's it's hard for the everyday basketball fan who is not familiar with the culture over there to realize like their b-level cities and some of those names you mentioned (laughs) those were the cities i was in there's 15 million people in wuhan or chengdu It's, it's it's unbelievable and and for me I went when I was 28, uh, part of Nike basketball's uh, grassroots buildup to the uh, 2008 Beijing Olympics. So this was 2006, and I went over there with a bunch of former players, mostly New York-based. And at the time, like, I'm running clinics, and I'm coaching high school ball and running camps. So for me, it was, like, an incredible opportunity. Like, wow, I can take what I'm doing here and represent Nike on the other side of the world and be part of this. It was it was a real turning point in my life and career in terms of seeing what was possible through the game. But then I'm there for a month. And it's one thing to go somewhere for a week or 10 days. I'm there for 32 days. And it was so unique and so exciting and so different. And I'm coaching kids through translators in the huddle I've got, you know, American coaches, guys that played high level, you know, D1 ball and overseas ball. I've got Chinese coaches that I have to, you know, communicate through a third party. But the way the kids responded once they realized, wow, these guys are here to coach us up and and make us better and bring that, you know, style of basketball from the West here. And it was interesting, BJ, to see 
like, all right, which kid was influenced by Yao Ming? Which kid was influenced by Allen Iverson? Which kid was influenced by Kobe Bryant? And this was the summer after Kobe had the 81-point game. So there was Kobe promotion all over China and signage and the brand. And then to make it even more special, Team USA, this was the first summer they were back in the World Championships with Coach K and Colangelo. LeBron was there. Chris Paul was there. And the, the kids got to meet them at events and, 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 and see them and shake hands and seeing their reaction was was incredible. So truly, truly unique experience. And that's that's 13 years ago. So I can only imagine what it's like now. So, you know, China, it's obviously gotten so big over there in terms of their league, their national team, their their um, their love of the NBA. Is there a um, is there a priority or a pressure on them to find that next Yao, to find that next star that is going to translate globally and represent China in the league? Or has the game and the culture of the game gotten so big over there that it doesn't really matter? Well, those are great questions, Eric. And the one thing that I've noticed in all of my years of going there, and I've probably been visiting China now for the last 20 years or so, is the infrastructure that's currently in place um, is going to have to catch up with the way the game is played today. And what I mean by that is, you know, you say, well, we're looking for another Yao Ming. But when you look at the way the NBA is playing, the, the game isn't played with bigs anymore. The game is, right. a, is a small game now. So I, I mean, so not in terms of the skill set, but the uh, the star power and, and someone who's recognizable from China. Well, I, I think first you, you're, you're, you're going to have to see how the game is going to be taught in China or wherever yep. this young player is going to learn how to play. Uh, and look, look, let's face it. This is a global game now, right? You may be from China. You may be from Lithuania or America or Brazil. But the game itself, uh, where the rubber meets the road, is going to be in the NBA, right? That's the best league in the world. So at some point, this young player, no matter where they grow up in the world, they're going to have to have exposure to the speed and quickness of the of the NBA game, mm -hmm. right? The FIBA game is a different game. You know, college basketball is a different game. But in the end, the NBA game is where the best athletes play. And they're going to have to have exposure to that so that they can actually perform once they get to the NBA. And wherever that exposure comes from, uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to need. I mean, you look at today's game, all the best young players are basically foreign players, right? Whether it's Jokic, Luka Doncic there from Dallas, Giannis was MVP, Rudy Gobert now is Defensive Player of the Year, Joel Embiid is up and coming. And certainly at the top, you have uh, Ben Simmons. So... You know, it goes on and on and on with the exposure of the game. I would venture to say that because of the popularity of the game, you will get another player, but it will probably be some type of guard. Even though when I say a guard, I mean it will probably be a skilled player, yep. unlike a center, because of the way the game is played, the way the game is taught, the way the game is going to have to, you know, you're going to have to be able to be versatile enough to play the way they play today. So, uh, but certainly... You know, Yao Ming's impact has made an impression and his popularity, you know, I had a chance to see him. I mean, when you say a star, I mean, he is a star star there. I mean, the, his popularity, what he's doing 
for his country, what he's doing for the game speaks for itself, speaks volume. And uh, you have to applaud all the work he's doing to continue to move the game forward, but more importantly, continue to uh, really improve China and, yep. and what their basketball and, and where they're headed as they continue to try to find the next great player from China. It's unbelievable, you know, not to go too deep down the history rabbit hole here before we pivot, but 45 years ago, the U.S. and China were barely in talks. At, at all on any level trade government international relations and and now we're talking about china loving the nba and producing players and how the game resonates it's 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 really fascinating so in, in regards to uh some of those names you mentioned and obviously mentioning guys who are representative of other countries they were all on hand representing their uh, countries and teams in uh, in FIBA, some of them, and uh, Team USA, as we know, a, a disappointing finish, but let's also realize while that team had some very good talent on it, that was not the best of the best talent, and they did not have a lot of time to uh, gel as a team against international teams, who I think many of those uh, player combos and teammates had been playing together for a much longer amount of time. So was this Team USA experience a disaster or is this just a reality of listen we didn't send our best of the best from the nba and the world has been catching up now for you know the last 15 20 years which one is it or was it a a mix of both you think well you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to my scouting days when i take me there take me to the scout yeah i'm gonna take you to my scouting days when i first retired as a player um I quickly, as you're a scout, you have to learn how to evaluate players, but you have to learn how to evaluate players in their in their system of play, right? So, you know, when you're watching a young high school kid, you're you're projecting on how that skill set is going to transfer to the NBA. When you're watching a college player, you're watching a college game which is a totally different game than the NBA game. All right, so when you evaluate a player at the collegiate level, Mm -hmm. you have to make a projection on how that's going to transfer, transferable skills to the NBA. Example, just because you can score 25 points in a college game doesn't mean that you can be a a 25-point scorer in the professional game. Yep. Right. So there are only a couple things that really transfer at the collegiate level. Right. See Jimmer Fredette and Adam Morrison. Yeah. I mean, those are examples. Um, So, you know, you may if you can rebound at the collegiate level, you probably will rebound at the professional level. If you can pass at the collegiate level, you will probably be a good passer at the pro level. Okay, but. Sometimes you will see players who don't do they don't score in college. I think that's why when you when we all saw Michael Jordan, we didn't see the player who averaged 18 or 17, 18 points a game at Duke. I mean, at North Carolina. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. he, he goes and averages 37 in the NBA. You're like, wow, what happened? <laughs> like, yeah. like, OK, you, so evaluating from a scout's perspective, it's all about projecting what transferable skills they have, a skill set. So the collegiate game is a different game. When you watch the FIBA, and when I first started scouting European players, I had to learn the FIBA game, the international game, because that game we don't see often here in the United States. 
So what does that mean? So many of the players that you saw playing on the USA team, what was their exposure to this level of competition in the international game? This is, for many of them, it was the first time. Now, mm -hmm. they may have played, you know, some USA event when they were in high school. They may have played even when they were in college for, for many of them. But they've never seen what we call EuroLeague basketball at the highest level, right? No. Ricky Rubio and Ricky Rubio and these guys have been playing FIBA rules since they've been like 13, 14 years of age. So the Luka learning, Doncic, the learning, yeah. cur the learning curve disadvantage for this team USA team was probably the highest it's right. been in decades. Exactly. So you take Luka Doncic, right? Luka Doncic, when he came here this year for the Dallas Mavericks, the game now when I played, which is some 20, 25 years ago, when I played, it was a different NBA. The physicality of the game was very different. This game, the NBA game that you saw with the Detroit Pistons and the way those teams played back then, was a very physical game, hand-checking, so forth and so on. It was a much more physical game than the international game. So when the European players were coming over here, they weren't used to the physicality of the game. Today's game, the European game is more physical than the current NBA game. Yep. Yep, so it's, it's completely flipped. It's completely flipped, right? Because in the European game, it's a physical game. So when you see when you see Jokic and all of these players, they're they're used to the bumping and the grinding because of the rules, the way they play, the way the game is refereed. And then when you get to the NBA, it's more of a finesse game. So it's in my humble opinion, as I I learned how to scout. The transition now for the European player to the NBA game is actually smoother and more conducive than what it would be for the player who goes to college, mm -hmm. because the it's it's just the, the 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 games the game that transfers from FIBA is some more similar now than it's ever been to the NBA game. And the game that you're seeing at the collegiate level doesn't resemble the NBA or the international game at all. So many of these young players that you saw playing in this event, you know, look, you, you're talking about Ricky Rubio. You're talking about Gasol. You're talking about Patty Mills. You're talking about very experienced players yep. who have played. And the only thing that's going to offset that experience is speed and quickness. And that's why when you see a USA team, they have to play utilizing their speed and quickness because they know, for many of us who've been watching this basketball for years and years, speed and quickness is the one advantage that a USA team should have over the rest of the world. Yep. And but now, with, but without that chemistry, and well, and the, the, well, just quickly just from what I saw, right? Well, it's the experience. They didn't. They didn't have the necessary chemistry in a lot of moments. And, you know, in FIBA, you're seeing a, a whole lot of different defensive looks because of the different rules that you could do. And Team USA, I don't know what your perspective was on it, but from watching on TV, you know, they just kept running pick and roll, whether it was against man or zone, to get the matchup they wanted and then well, trying to play that game. And that doesn't work well in FIBA well, unless well, you've got that guy. Well, the thing I'll say— It didn't work well for USA. Well, the thing I'll say, Eric, is, okay, first, let's take the FIBA game and break it down. You have a 40-minute game. Yep. And what makes college basketball so exciting is that in a 40-minute game, anything can happen. <laughs> 
A 40-minute game is a different game than a 48-minute game. Many of the players didn't have the experience to understand that a 40-minute game is a totally different game than a 48-minute game. Yep, That was a problem. So when you play a 40-minute game, the sense of urgency that you have by playing that game is totally different. There's a certain effort and energy that you have to bring to a FIBA game than you bring to an NBA game. And many of the players didn't have the experience of knowing how to play and make the difference between playing NBA style and playing this style, just because yep. they haven't had the experience of doing it. These guys, Marcus Soul and these guys are not going to get rattled in a FIBA game. No. Because of the experience that they have. Now that these young players experience that, they'll be much better because they'll work with a different sense of urgency. And that is what you saw at the, at the FIBA, you have to have experienced players to know that I have to play a certain style that's totally different than what I'm normally playing. So screen roll in, in FIBA isn't the same effect as screen roll in the NBA because of one simple thing. They can play zone. Yep. I, but you can't play. You, they can call it the bigs. Long. So you saw Rudy Gobert's impact. You saw Marc Gasol's impact. One game, I think Marc Gasol had like a 33 and, I don't know, 16-point game over there. But, you know, I don't know how many of those games he'll have in the NBA. But in a FIBA game, Rudy Gobert's impact was unbelievable. He was terrific. He was so, terrific. In, he so, was, so, so talking about Gobert and Gasol, b- besides those two guys, was there, anybody, was there anybody else over there that really, really impressed you who caught your eye? Well, you know, one, it, it, uh, there were there were uh, the shooting of like Evan Fournier. You saw the impact mm-hmm. of shooting. Yep. Uh, you you saw when you saw Serbia. The, 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 one guy who really caught my guy caught my attention is the big guy from uh, Argentina. He's like thirty eight, thirty nine. Uh, um, who Scola? Luis Scola. Oh, Luis Scola. Man, he can ball. No, he look, can now. Ball. The reason he caught my attention is because you, you watch Lewis Scola in the NBA, and I was I've been watching him for years. You watch him in international play; he's a top five player. <laughs> okay, he's just crafty. And you watch Lewis Scola play, and he's thirty eight, thirty nine now, and he's just so crafty. And you realize it just makes you realize that it's a totally different game. the 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 best player that I saw, I mean, it was some it was some great player. I mean, Giannis was there. Jokic, I just find to be very inter- interesting for Serbia. Even though I think they finished like fifth, I don't think they medaled, if I recall correctly. Jokic is a really, really, really good player. Oh, he's, he's a he he's he's a really like, you know, he just he just knows how to play. And he and the, and the thing that impresses me most about him is that he he can score the basketball, but his ability to pass the basketball is as good as I've seen in a long time. He passes it from the high post. He passes it from the low post. He passes his screen roll. He, he makes the right passes every single time. I mean, you can, when you say, a lot of people say they want to run the offense through it. You can run the offense through him. Point I mean, he's just, a, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's just, I don't know what he is, but I just know this. He's a really good basketball player. And he's a, he's a basketball player that, 
in European and the American or, or the NBA, he can he can do it all. And I was really impressed with him. But there were a lot of good players there. Uh, Serbia, Australia, um, you know, Rudy Gobert had a great tournament. Ricky Rubio, you know, he ended up being MVP. He was he was terrific. So it was a lot of good basketball over there, and I was very happy that I was able to see these guys and, and perform. But, uh, I, you know, I think the USA is going to have their uh, hands full. I mean, the rest of the world, I don't think they've, like, when I say caught up, I mean, you can definitely see, when I say improvement, you can see the fear factor or the intimidation factor is not there what it used to, It's not there anymore. These players went into the game. I mean, when Serbia played the USA this year, the first quarter, they were the USA was down 32 to 7, okay? And yep. Serbia, the thing that, you know, impressed me most is they weren't celebrating. They were like, "Hey, we're here. We expect to win this game, and we're not celebrating because we're up on the USA." Yeah, the, the that, aura, the aura was not there around the team. Yeah, and this as yeah. we've talked about these more experienced veteran teams that have played together longer. They've got that confidence. They've got that swag. So, with that being said, Dame Lillard, Steph Curry have already come out and saying they're on board to play 2020 in Tokyo. Um, you know, obviously Curry is uh, he'll be 32 then. He's played over 90 playoff games the last five years. Um, he's never played in the Olympics. So to me, this seems like a, a no-brainer for Curry. Um, how are you feeling about Steph saying he's on board and obviously Dame with him, and hopefully that'll create a domino effect? Well, I mean, that's excellent, right? That is terrific that, you know, we're getting our star players to play. But again, I, I'm going to say it but just as a basketball fan, right? Um, you know, that, that's a different game. You know, Steph in the NBA is Steph Curry. Dame Lillard in the NBA is Dame Lillard. International basketball in a 40-minute game, as you see, anybody can be beat. You know, someone can get hot. You, you have a couple unfortunate breaks. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you, anything can happen. So, again, I think the USA, look, I, it's just going to be tough no matter who plays. Sure. Because but the rest of the world, they're ready. They're, yeah. but, but many but of these think, players think about this are though. Playing. Think about this, though. Take those teams that are taking away that paint and sagging in that zone. Put Curry on one wing and Lillard, Lillard, Lillard on the other. And let's see how long you're going to sit in that zone. Because those guys oh. will shoot the lights out in and, international but, but, competition if you play them but like the, that. In the international game, everybody can shoot the lights out. Fair. <laughs> F that, fair, that, that, but they got to. But my point is, they got to come guard them, and, uh, well, and that'll I mean, be really they're, they're exciting to, to see those guys on the floor. So here, I mean, here's the thing: like, okay, all right, you're you're shooting. You got Steph Curry, okay, Evan Fournier, and Bogdanovich. They can shoot it just as well. <laughs> this isn't like this, well, we're gonna we're gonna have to we're yeah. Have to this let is Steph a, know Steph know that uh, those guys are as good as they are. Th these guys can shoot, and I'm telling you, they can shoot one through five. Yep. Okay, so. Shooting is not the problem in, in, in European basketball or international basketball. Oh, no. Of course. They can all shoot. The, the, the thing that I will be most impressed with when you play in, in, that, in that venue is the ability to defend and extend the game to a 94-foot game. That's, the, that's your advantage. 
mm-hmm. you just say they're going to sit out there and shoot, look, those those guys can shoot. Okay, those you know, I w- when I was a young kid, I played against the late uh, Drazen Petrovic. That guy could shoot. Great okay, shooter. that was in the eighties. That was in yeah. the eighties when I first saw that young man, and that meant shooting is not the problem. They're going to be able to shoot just as well as any American team that we'll put that we'll send over there. But can they defend and do all the other things that's going to give us the advantage? Yep, and and ma- that and is the to me, that's making it a full court game is is huge, huge. Yes. So speaking of making things a full court game, and speaking of the time period in which you played, I had a very unique uh, two day experience this week at uh, Memphis University, and uh, it brings us uh, back to that time. So are you ready to uh, to go back to the nineties, my friend? Back to the 90s. Let's go. Back to the 90s we go. This past week, lucky enough to be producing some segments for a new ESPN Plus show called Sneaker Center. And I spent two days around the Memphis basketball program and facility with your man, Anthony Penny Hardaway, who was tremendous to film with, speak with, Obviously told him you and I have been working together. Um, what was it like when Penny Hardaway came into the NBA for the first time for, I believe, that 93-94 season fresh out of Memphis as that long, athletic, quick point guard? What was Penny like to deal with, and what were some of your experiences playing against him? Well, I tell you, he was a problem, and especially for smaller guards like myself. He was a, a true problem. He had size. He had athletic ability. He had a terrific handle. He could score. He could shoot. Um, I mean, he really had the, you know, he was way ahead of his time. You know, the only player that I had seen up to that point uh, with that type of size was Magic Johnson. And he was a better athlete than Magic uh, clearly, Magic was Magic in his own way, uh, but Anthony was a very unique player. He had a—I remember—I can't remember the exact year, but he had a year. I remember Shaq was either injured or he was out for an extended amount of time or something. I don't know what happened, but he had a—he had a stretch where he was—he was the best player in the NBA, and he was—I don't know if he was a one, he's a two. I don't know what oh, he was. He, he was the old. I mean, to me he back was then, just, he was just a, a a combo hybrid. Yeah, he was. You, a, could, he play, was, you could play he, him on the ball. You could play him off the ball. The you ball, could post him up. Yeah, he, mean, was, he was. He was. Yeah, he was. He had a stretch there for like a year. This is the pre-injury. Yeah, uh, we're talking Penny about Hardaway. we're talking about yeah. rookie year through third year after they yeah, went he, to the finals. Yeah, he had a stretch year. there special. where he he was he was special. You know, th- this guy was. He was a Hall of Fame talent. He had he had the he had the package. I mean, he could shoot it, he could pass it, he could defend, length, size, athletic ability, big hands, and he had the whole thing. Now, I I, I knew he was a problem, and uh, I I played against Penny. I, I I what a terrific guy. I played one year with him down there in Orlando. Terrific player, and I was so happy to see him and rooting for him down there. Now he's the head coach at Memphis, and uh, he was a phenomenal, 
phenomenal basketball player and he's a great guy as well and um you know i've just you know i'm always rooting for him and um wow he but he had that one year though eric that he was he was as good as they came well rookie year plays all 82 games plays almost 37 minutes a night 16 points almost seven assists a game second year the year they go to the finals almost 21 a game seven assists two steals uh, shoots over 50% from the floor. Third year, 95-96. Shaq's last year in Orlando. He plays plays and starts all 82 games. Almost 22 points a game. Seven assists, two steals, four rebounds. I mean, 51% from the floor. Just incredibly efficient and explosive. And then, of course, the injury started after that. But to his credit... He fought and clawed and stayed in the league, and he was a valuable role player with uh, with Phoenix for a few years. Had the stint in Orlando, uh, you know, came to the Knicks late. He talked about his time in New York with me. He loved it here. He was he just regretted that he wasn't healthy and couldn't give what he wanted to give. But for him now to go full circle and be back at Memphis, and he's got Mike Miller on his staff. So I'm watching a workout yesterday, and they're just both hardcore teaching and coaching the guys up in their preseason workouts, and it was just an aw- an awesome atmosphere to be in. I, di- I didn't want to leave the gym, but I had to get back on my flight to New York. It was it was great. So um, the Memphis story is something that uh, I think we should keep an eye on this year because they've got a lot of talent, and if Penny Hardaway can make a run to the Final Four or put them in a position to win it, and, and that, that's a beautiful full-circle basketball story, and the whole city of Memphis is is just magnetized by Penny being back and leading the program. So, another another beautiful basketball story for us to to follow this season. So, BJ, great being back with you today. We'll pick it up next week. And by the way, I will be in LA to see you in two weeks. So we'll definitely. Oh, get our I, next I can't wait. Show I'm, in. So I know every time you get that. in the gym, every time you get in the gym. I'm just glad that you came back. You know, I was worried that you wouldn't come back <laughs> and, uh, and take the show. You get you start getting in the ball and you get a little. Oh, I got you get, I got the yeah. shooting gun workout in. I, it was I, fantastic. I so, uh, it was fantastic. Well, 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 welcome back, my friend. And uh, hey, can't wait to uh, get back on in uh, next week. For sure. Special thanks as always to producer Mike Lieber, Bruce Bernstein, editor Benjamin Wolfen. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show dropping each Monday. Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with Monica McNutt on Thursdays. We'll be running catch-and-shoot interviews leading up until the start of the season on Wednesdays. And, of course, the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ and myself coming back next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy. The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.